Lonely song, the songs for you. It shouldn't surprise us that for many years esoteric ideas fall on the external parts of our centers. And you remember, of course, what the external parts of your centers are, right? The mechanical part, that's true. The moving is really the most mechanical part of your centers, isn't it? So you have the intellectual part, you have the emotional part, and you have the moving instinctive part. We put the two together, but they're actually two separate centers. And we're not even mentioning the sex center, and we're not mentioning other centers that we don't really have much to do with. So the instinctive center, we don't have much to do with. The sex center, we don't have really much to do with. They both do us. So the moving parts of the centers are the parts of the centers that are the most mechanical. And that's where, as a rule, for a very long time, for many years, esoteric ideas fall. They fall on the external parts of the centers, the small parts of centers. Now, there's nothing to be done about this. It's just the way it is. And that's how it's going to be for a number of years. This is the only way it can happen, given the condition in which esoteric ideas find us. What is our condition when esoteric ideas find us? Yes, we're mechanical. We're asleep. In life. When Jess says in life, he means being carried away in the stream of events, the flow of the stream of events that life is. We think life is something else. But it's literally just a series of impressions, a flow of events, circumstances, situations that happen, often without any rhyme or reason, often, as far as we can tell, without any cause whatsoever. When we find ourselves in life, that means we are asleep and we are mechanical because we are being driven by events, by the events of life, so that we are, instead of being solar-powered or wind-powered or natural gas-powered or gasoline-powered or diesel-powered, we're life-powered. We are powered by life. So all of those things, all of those things are acting on us. And we imagine, while that's happening, we imagine that we're doing it. <laughs> that's how esoteric ideas find us. That's where we are. We imagine that we're doing it, that we're in control of it, and that the only thing we're not in control of is those other people who need to start doing what we know they should be doing. Essentially, it finds us so asleep and so in imagination that we are relatively happy. When I say relatively happy, I mean relative to how happy you would be if you knew the truth about your life. If you knew the truth about your life, your happiness would evaporate like a drop of water on a hot rock in Death Valley at noon on a sunny day. Moving parts of centers is where small eyes live. Big eyes don't live in the moving parts of centers. Someone said, I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt, said, great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events and small minds discuss people. Something like that. Small eyes live in small parts of centers and they're interested in petty things because that's what's in small parts of centers. Let me give you an example. Who left the cap off the toothpaste? That's a small eye. And you can tell it's living in a moving part of the center because it's all about putting the cap on the toothpaste. Who didn't put the cap on the toothpaste? All right, here's another one. That's a stupid way to park. She didn't use her turn signals when she turned. All moving center, little eyes, little petty eyes in the moving center. How much time do you suppose is spent in little eyes? The small, yes, too much is right. The moving parts, the mechanical parts of centers, the moving parts of centers where the little eyes live. Because they're small, they can only receive these ideas in a general superficial way. Could you give me an example of a general superficial way you can't do? Here's an idea. 
The idea that esoteric teachings give you is you can't do. How would a small I take that? Well, just tell me how you take it. I can't do, so why should I even try? That's how a small I, a petty little I, would take that idea. A huge idea, a profound idea. That idea alone could lift you out of this prison, this madness. And that's how it's taken. In a very small, superficial, general way. Well, I can't do. And then other eyes come around and pout with you about it, or with that eye about it. Being governed by self-interest, they can't see far or wide. Their perspective is very narrow. They can't see far. They're nearsighted. And they don't see very wide because they're focused on tiny aspects of life, situations, events, things. She said that. And that's just an awful thing to say. Nobody should say things like that to another person. What's wrong with her? That kind of I. And that's all self-interest. Self-interest makes them myopic, nearsighted. Is myopic is nearsighted, lacking foresight or intellectual insight. The more interior these ideas become, the more we see in them. So as the idea, let's take that idea that we had, you cannot do. The more interior that idea becomes to us, after years of having that idea knock, knock, knocking at the door, trying to get inside of us, what does that mean? It means years of spaced repetition, years of being reminded you can't do, years of having a problem going to your teacher and saying, well, blah, 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 and they say, what are you fretting about? You can't do. Everything happens the only way it can happen. You can't do. You're asleep. You're being mechanical. You're allowing this to shove you around, to push you around, to direct you. It's stealing your force, and now you're in a negative neighborhood over it. So the more interior the idea becomes, the more we see in the idea. When once we saw one thing, we now see several things. So now we look at, I can't do, and it means, well, I can't do consistently. I can't stop expressing negative emotions consistently. I can stop expressing negative emotions when that's what happens. But I didn't make it happen. It happened, and then I said that's what I wanted to happen. So that makes it look like I actually stopped expressing negative emotions, or I intended to stop expressing negative emotions. And so this situation is a situation where I did. I'm proving that I can do. Clearly, we can't even take the idea and allow it to enter into us. We have to somehow object to it and find a way that it's wrong and we're right. That's an idea that's fallen in the mechanical of the small parts of centers. Esoteric literature has many examples of this, one with which you are very familiar, but I'm going to read it to you anyway because it's a good story. And if it's fresh in your mind, it'll be easier to have a look at it and what it means esoterically. The woman of Samaria. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. I want you to remember that. He left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? 
for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That's parenthetical material. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Notice that he speaks of himself in third person here. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. It's a long one, admittedly. And there's a lot to it. But that's good because there's a lot to it. And the more there is to it, then the more ideas that we can get from it. Why did Jesus leave Judea and return to Galilee? Do you remember? What was it? Why did he? Okay, that's all right. (laughs) Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples, he left and went away again to Galilee. He heard that the Pharisees knew. So when he found out that the Pharisees knew what was going on, he left Judea to return to Galilee. The Pharisees represent the small eyes and moving parts of centers, full of self-interest, full of suspicion, full of greed, full of self-emotions. And of course, when you're full of all that, you are violent. So he left Judea for Galilee to get away from the impending violence. They cannot understand internal truth, and therefore they tried to do it violence when they're offended and threatened by it. They were offended and threatened. Offended because who does he think he is? And threatened because these idiot people are following him and going out to be baptized. We're going to lose our position. He's going to ruin everything. So he's on his way, but he has to go through Samaria. Samaria is a mixed state of consciousness. Tell me why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? It's a mixed state of consciousness. It sees one kind of worship, but it insists that what it's doing is the right thing. Another way of looking at that is, which wine do you want? The old wine or the new? You want the old because you'll say the old is better. Mount Gerizim and what we're doing here is better than the new, what you say we should be doing. So it's a mixed state of consciousness. We don't want the new wine, but insist that the old is better. Samaritan woman represents the sleeping emotional center. She can't see each idea contains many things, which at a distance, and where was Jerusalem? At a distance, 35 to 40 miles. The place that they call Sychar is really Shechem, and the Jews just used it as a kind of a slur, a put-down of the little Samaritan city because the Jews didn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. They were beneath them because they were mixed. 
they weren't following the law the way that the Jews said they should be following it. And you know the history about Samaria and the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel who separated and then went to war with each other. Rehoboam was Solomon's son. And he gave a harsh answer to the people when they said to him, you know, we'll serve you if you'll lighten the burden that your father laid on us. He said, no, he wasn't going to do that. He was going to make it worse. My father whipped you with whips, but I'll whip you with scorpions, something like that. So they raised up a king for themselves and they separated. And it was not a good thing. So Samaria then, in order to keep the people of Samaria, the Samaritans, the Jews who were, who were Israelites, but who pulled away from Judea because the temple was in Jerusalem, in order to keep them away from going back, in order to keep their power, they started their own religion. And that's where all the mixing came in. So the Jews considered them to be less than. And the Samaritans were just covering their own butts. The Israelites, they really weren't Samaritans. They were Israelites at that time. They were later called Samaritans. The Samaritan woman, representing the sleeping emotional center, which you'll have to admit, we've all got. Your emotional center is sleeping. It's not awake. It is not in touch with higher emotional center. If it were awake, it would be in touch with higher emotional center. But as it is, the best you can do is have a peek at higher emotional center from a distance or have a peek at these ideas that come from higher emotional or from higher centers. These ideas that come from higher centers, you can have a peek at them at a distance. So the Samaritan woman representing our sleeping emotional center cannot see each idea contains many things which at a distance appear as one thing. You know how at a distance, many things can appear as one thing. You can see a tree or you can see a forest, depending on the distance. You get closer, you can see a tree. You get closer, you can see branches. You get closer, you can see leaves. You get closer, you can see birds in the trees. You get closer, you can see bugs crawling on the leaves or the tree. The development of understanding, and remember, that is what we're about. We are about developing our understanding. It requires more interior parts of centers coming into operation. We have got to move away from these exterior, outer parts of our centers and move inward toward more internal parts of centers, more interior parts of centers. This depends on valuation, which depends on inner consent. Sir, you must be a prophet. This was the beginning for her of inner consent. What was it that made her say that? He told her something about herself that no one, he couldn't have known. What did that do? What will we call that in the work? You call that a conscious shock. You are awake, aren't you? For the moment. That's huh? just amazing. Amazing, just changing seats gives you a whole different perspective. And of course, a little pain helps to sharpen the intellect too. Have you ever noticed that? A little bit of pain, a little bit of discomfort, and it's easier to be awake. It's easier to stay sharp, which is a horrible thing when you think about it, that we're so lazy that we have to have pain in order to sharpen a little bit, in order to wake up a little bit. How sad is that? And this is the condition in which esoteric ideas find us. And this condition that we're talking about right now is actually a high state compared to where esoteric ideas initially find us. <laughs> this is after years of being prodded and knocked on by esoteric ideas. It's interesting. Valuation depends on inner consent. This was the beginning for her. Sir, you must be a prophet. This was the beginning of inner consent and awakening of the emotional center. The emotional center, which the woman represents, begins to awaken. Oh, she's shocked. You must be a prophet. In other words, yeah, you're right. How'd you know that? There's got to be some kind of an answer. She's seeing something higher than herself. 
For the first time, she gets a shock. She wakes up a little, just a little. The emotional center wakes up just a little, and it notices that there is something higher than itself. This is rare for us to shake off self-interest and self-love long enough to acknowledge that there could be, maybe, possibly, something higher than us, something valuable that's not us. That is an astounding event. That is something remarkable, which is why this story remarks on it, because it's something that's very difficult to have happen. When one thing opens up into more things, the intelligence of the work is growing in that person. So now one thing, water from the well, opens up into more things. Who is this guy and how did he know that? That is the beginning of the intelligence of the work, the intelligence of the ideas growing in that person. What's the idea that could possibly grow? And the idea was, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water. And the water that I give him, nobody will ever thirst from this again. Living water. For her, because she's asleep, because we're asleep, because we're asleep, the idea can only fall on these outer parts. And all she can think about is, well, where's your bucket? The well's deep. How are you going to get the living water? Where where are you going to get this water? All she can think about is what she always thinks about, the five senses. I walked all the way here. It's a quarter of a mile from Shechem to the well. It's about a quarter of a mile. So she walked a quarter of a mile to get water. She doesn't want to do that all the time, right? She's got to take it back. That's right. She's got to haul it back. So that's a half mile round trip. Let's say she lived closer. Let's say she only lived an eighth of a mile. She's still got a quarter mile round trip. A quarter mile one way, then a quarter mile back with water. However, she's carrying the water. Probably in a jar or possibly in a bucket, but probably in a jar. She doesn't have much valuation, but she's getting some. It's beginning to stir in her that possibly there's something valuable here. Now, it may only be connected with the idea that she won't have to come back to the well. So when one thing opens up into more things, the intelligence of the work is growing in that person. He'll often think it's his own intelligence, more often than not, due to self-love. When you start to get these ideas, you don't credit the work. You credit yourself. You credit your own intelligence. You credit your own ability to do. You credit your own valuation. You credit yourself. It falls directly into false personality. False personality scoops it up like birds picking up seeds off a roadside. And false personality grows fat and strong and sleek. And your essential self continues to starve. At this point, we can begin to see practically what esoteric teachings mean when they compare the ideas which can develop the inner man with a small seed that grows into a great tree. But if the false personality is snatching up those small seeds all the time, which it does, then the tree will never grow because it is never planted. That's why it says what esoteric teachings mean when they compare the ideas which can develop the inner man They can develop the inner man. That doesn't mean they will. It means that they can if they fall on the right place. But they don't fall on the right place for many years. It takes a long time to get them to the right place. And you've got false personality swooping down on them like birds who are swooping down on seeds that fell on the roadside. You go out and feed wild birds. Go out and throw some seed. Or go out and feed pigeons. They are on it. It doesn't last long, or the other places that the seed falls, but mostly in small parts, the exterior parts of centers, the small mechanical parts of centers, the moving parts. Or in this case, the ideas can become a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them or him eternal life. All this possibility is blocked by lack of consent. Just to give you an example of what I mean by lack of consent, look at how little you consent to in life. 
In other words, look at how much you instantly object to. How much is just too hard? It's just too much trouble. It takes too much time. I don't want to do that. It's not going to go anywhere. There's no point. Why should I do this? Blah, 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 blah. That is your natural reaction. That is your ordinary state of consciousness. That is what you will say when anything new is introduced to you. That's what you're going to do. That is inner consent or the lack of it. We imagine we consent to these ideas, yet we object to their application to us personally. Yes, I consent to the ideas. Tammy certainly needs that idea. And Pat needs that idea, too. When Jess has really needed that idea. As a matter of fact, I don't know anybody more in need of that idea than Jess. Which idea? All of them. Just all of them. I mean, look at him. He's a mess. All of them. But what about me? Well, I'm working on it. You know, I've been working on it for years. I'm, I'm working on it. So you see, we consent, but not to the ideas being practically applied to ourselves. We consent to the ideas. We consent to them being applied to other people, but not to ourselves. We even consent that they are true. And what makes them true is we're doing them all. People often hear a different way of looking at one of the ideas and think it's a contradiction. They may become offended. In fact, most people do become offended when they find a contradiction in one of these ideas. They become offended and they instantly want to know why you have made a mistake or why now you're telling Gurdjieff did this. He would tell somebody something and then he would tell them the opposite and they would get all upset. It's because we can't hold it all at once. And it's because truth has no opposite. A real emotion has no opposite. Truth has no opposite. People say a lie is the opposite of the truth. No, this is internal truth beyond facts, beyond the things that we call truth, way beyond that. We're talking about internal truth, eternal, internal truth. Morris Nichols said, there is no contradiction in opening out a thing and discovering more and still more of its component parts, which all fit together into a whole. To feel offended is a sign of a mind still governed by envy. This is an annoying concept, an annoying idea. When you are offended, it is proof that your mind is still governed by envy. Now, the only thing left for you to do is begin to lie about being offended. Now that you know that offended people have a mind governed by envy, now you have to lie and say, well, I'm not offended. This is how we do it. Don't imagine that you don't, because you really don't want me to point things out to you. I promise you, not in public. Maybe privately, it might be okay, just one or two. But you don't really like it, even in private. Publicly, forget it, because the self-love goes insane. How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Who do you think you are? You're not the boss of me. I know as much as you do. Isn't this really what we're saying? I read this in one translation, and I'm reading it in another translation, and it's not harmonizing the way I wanted it to. So I'll change versions here and read it in the one that I read it in. When I read it, to write this, it'll go a lot better. So she's upset because anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, the water that's in the well. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, give me this water. Before that, she said, you don't have a bucket. You don't have a rope or bucket. This well is very deep. How are you going to get that water? So that's our reaction as a rule. How can you offer better water than heinous sons and his animals enjoyed? Our wine is better. The new wine that you're offering, how can you offer better wine? How can you say that what you're offering is better? You're not the boss of me. You're not as smart as me. And there is where there's no real valuation. That was when she had no valuation. 
Then he shocks her with the go get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. That's right. The man you're living with now isn't your husband. You've had five husbands. So you're right. You said right. You're not married. Oh, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Shocked. Returning to the idea that these ideas, for a long time, fall on small eyes living in external parts of centers, it's necessary to see the ideas in a certain way. We don't have a choice about this. In the beginning, we have to see the ideas in a certain way. They have to fall on small parts of centers because that's all there is for us. Nothing else is active. We are completely living on the circumference of life. We are surface. We are shallow. We are interested in all of the things that life makes us interested in. Survival, food, water, sex, safety, warmth, all those things, clothing, Only later, and only if we value them as distinct from life values, we begin to see them in another way. The ideas will always remain in the small parts of centers without some kind of valuation, which, remember, depends on consent, inner consent. You have got to consent, but you won't consent unless you are shocked and you see that who you think you are isn't that great. And don't think that this happens just once. This has to happen again and again and again and again and again. Because in a heartbeat, all right, in two heartbeats, you're back to thinking you're wonderful. And the only thing that's wrong with you and the only thing that's wrong with the world is those other people. It's not good to rush ahead, nor is it good to quit too soon. Two of the things that small eyes are inclined to do, given their lack of understanding. We want to get these ideas and rush ahead, or we want to get these ideas and never let them go anywhere. Those are the two ways that these little eyes living in the small parts of centers react to esoteric ideas. We've looked at this story of the Samaritan woman at the well a number of times. Each time, we see it in another way. I suspect that this is very different from the last time you heard me talk about this, and the time before that, and the time before that, because this is a different perspective of it. This is a different look at it. We're taking an entirely different approach to it. We're seeing it in another way. This is one thing opening up into another thing increasingly. We could talk about this story for months and have one thing open up into another thing increasingly. It's the intelligence of the teaching growing in us. You take it for granted or you imagine that it's your intelligence. It's not your intelligence. It's the intelligence of the teaching. It's the intelligence of where the seed came from. It's the intelligence that's in the seed. How does an acorn know to become an oak tree? How does a corn know to produce a corn stalk? How does a pea know to grow into a vine? How does a morning glory seed know to grow into a morning glory vine? How does it know to do that? How does it know what color to be? It's the intelligence in the seed. The intelligence in these ideas is what does it. Not us. Not your intelligence. This process is endless because internal truth is infinite. To embrace the infinite, we must be willing to give up our finiteness. But if you give up your finiteness, you're giving up yourself. Because you define yourself by define finite. You define by making your infinite self finite. You say, here I am. And you look at your body. You say, here I am. And it's definite. You look at your fingers. There they are. They're separate. You can move them separately. You look at your hand. It's not your other hand. It's not your foot. It's not your head. So it's finite. It's defined. It's separate. So to embrace the infinite, we've got to be willing to give up our finiteness. Not something that's going to come easily. Especially, this is impossible to do with little eyes. Little eyes will never understand it. They will always panic. They will always freak out. They'll race your heart. They'll raise your respiration. 
They'll make you sweat. They'll make you chill. They'll make you get sweaty palms or dry mouth. They'll do all kinds of things to you. We can never know eternal truth as sometimes it's imagined that we can. We think that we can know this truth. Yeah, well, I know that. No, you can't know it. You cannot know internal truth. Not fully, because it is infinite. It's not doable for us. Not with these minds. The way it works is with each new insight, the inner or essential part of us, what's inside of us, the real of us, develops towards the inexhaustible meanings of higher centers. Each new insight. You don't see any change. You pretty much are the same. You're behaving the same way. But with each new insight, the essential part of you, the inner part of you, develops towards the inexhaustible meanings of higher centers. So if you're looking for changes out here, you're mistaken. It's the inner part of you that needs to be developing, not the outer part of you. See, we base our results on the outer part. No, it's the inner that needs to be developing. The outer will follow in its time, just like pulling a chain up a hill. It'll get in line if you pull it long enough. No matter how crinkled up it was, no matter how rounded it was, if you pull it, it will straighten out. Same thing with us. What we were and took as ourselves becomes less and less valuable. Have you noticed that? When this happens, you will resist and object less. When you resist and object less, you will have one wonderful thing happening for you. You will be able to consent more. Giving your consent is the most important thing that you can do. Giving your consent to these ideas. Giving your consent to what they want for you. It's the most difficult thing you will do, and it's the greatest thing you can do. What we were yesterday will become more and more remote to our consciousness. Can you imagine doing now, saying now, some of the things you said 10 years ago? I can bring some up. You, know, you don't want to do that. I can tell you things that you said 10 years ago. In fact, I've told people things that they said, and they said, well, I, w I would never say that now. Do you remember that? I wouldn't say that now. Do you see what that is? That is what you were yesterday, becoming more and more remote to your consciousness. No, not doing that. You don't necessarily smile about it all the time. Sometimes you just kind of cringe that you said it. But you can also smile that you're not saying it now because it's become remote to your consciousness. It's not something that's right there in your consciousness. It's not just, bam, apparent. It's not springing up in your consciousness. It certainly is not, what is it called, a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. It's not that. It becomes remote. In other words, you've got to drop a bucket with a long rope way down into that well to get that. Some people are dumb enough to do it. It's true. Some people will throw a fishing line back into it. It's just a hook and a fishing line way back into their memory. Hook something and pull it up. Whoa, look at this. They're not happy people. They're insane people. What, did I mention that we all do that? Okay, good. I wanted to mention that we all do that, that we're all... I'm trying to reel the hook in. Yeah. <laughs> when was the last time I did that? Let me think. Oh, yes. <laughs> What happens is that these ideas start to become more and more visible, apparent to your consciousness. And they start to feed you. They start to give you that fresh bubbling spring. And that does lead to eternal life. That is something that can survive the destruction of the body. All this is difficult or impossible for a rigid, literal, formatory mind. When the work finds you, you have a rigid, literal, formatory mind. Slowly, ever so slowly, after many, many years, your mind becomes a little less rigid, a little more flexible, a little less literal. You're able to read deeper past the surface of things and a little less formatory. You don't slap back from yes to no, from hot to cold, from hate to love. 
you find a little bit more of a middle in yourself where you can spend a little more time. It happens slowly, but it does happen if you give your consent to these ideas. You light up an instant matter.